Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the 99th episode of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. Getting Over is back to talk everything that happened in WWE over the last few days. We're talking SmackDown, we're talking Raw, we're talking all of it on the 99th episode of this podcast. Not only does that mean that this is a big episode, it also means our next episode, number 100, is huge. I told you guys to get excited for that. The Silver King will be delivering the next time you see a new episode coming from Getting Over. But look, we're not fast forwarding to number 100. We're here on number 99. Like I said, we're going to break down everything that happened over the last couple of days from SmackDown and Raw. And plenty went down, particularly as it pertains to the new number one contenders for the Roman Reigns Universal Championship and Drew McIntyre's WWE Championship. So we're going to get to all of that in a moment. Before we do, you guys know we take care of business on this podcast. Not necessarily her business, but business nonetheless. First off, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It's where we release every single episode. We tweet about wrestling all week long. We do polls before and after pay-per-views. Ton of good stuff over there. It's also how you can DM us questions Um, tweet at us comments during Raw and SmackDown, uh, AEW Dynamite, and NXT, pay-per-views, etc. We're always there to talk to you about professional wrestling. Also, if you're a first-time listener, be sure to subscribe wherever you get fine audio. And for those of you who do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, do not forget to drop a five-star rating and review and let us know how much you love this damn show. We just finished Thanksgiving. I hope everyone had a nice holiday. Now, guess what? The winter holidays are coming up. The least you can do, I think, is take a minute out of your day, drop a five-star rating and review for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. But let's get into today's show. We are actually in a rarity, taping this Monday night immediately after Raw went off the air. So it's almost a little bit of Raw instant analysis combined with our normal SmackDown breakdown on this individual podcast. And I'm going to welcome in, obviously, my co-host, Vintage Chris Vanini, who you can follow on Twitter, at Chris Vanini, of course. You can follow the Silver King, at Silverstein Adam. And Chris, coming out of this Raw, I think the best way really to describe it, not great, not bad. It was just kind of run of the mill. They went through a three-hour show. There were some pluses, some minuses. I don't really have a huge emotion one way or another. I thought it was a, a pretty decent episode of Raw coming out of a pretty decent episode of SmackDown. There have been some weeks recently where they've kind of blown us away. Uh, two weeks ago, if I, if memory serves, they pretty much had a great SmackDown and a great Raw. This week, a little step back, but, you know, nothing offensive by any means. Yeah, it, uh, it, it felt like a quick show, oddly, for a show where, like, not that much happened. It, it, it felt... Um, Felt a little empty. It felt like an empty arena show, uh, yes, I guess. It did. There, there was there was not any big moments. But nothing but I don't I don't think anything was really bad. I, I think it was all fine. So yeah, it, it was just kind of one of those shows where alright, you know, wasn't bad, wasn't great. Um yeah, this is kind of my reaction coming out of it. 
Yeah, I'm far more emotional tonight about the Seahawks Eagles game and the. I didn't, most- I didn't want to bring it up. I, <laughs> I know it, 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 right before we started recording here, Adam was in a bad mood. I am in the, I am in the worst. I think I'm in the worst mood I've ever been <laughs> recording a wrestling podcast because no, this is fun, right? This is an escape for me. But literally, and I use the word correctly here, literally five minutes before we started taping, I got the worst bad beat of my entire freaking life with that. Hail Mary and then senseless two point conversion that Doug Peterson went for. I'm just, I'm incensed. You know, I'm I'm trying not to let it affect me here, but maybe my emotions are so dampened for wrestling and for Raw because I'm so angry at what just happened in the NFL. But I'm going to put that in the back door. Yes, it was a back door cover. I'm going to put that in the back door. I'm going to put it behind me. I'm going to close the door. We're going to lock it away. We're going to talk pro wrestling. And the way we do that on our WWE episode is we hop into the main event. And despite this being a bit of a raw instant analysis, we're actually going to go back to SmackDown because that's really where the biggest storyline of the week transpired. And it was a number one contender finally emerging for Roman Reigns' universal title. There's a lot of things that happened on SmackDown and a lot of them all kind of came back to Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. So we're going to take it bit by bit here. The show opened up with Jey hyping up his cousin, only for Reigns to kind of cut him off and belittle him, tell him that he makes the family look like failures, and Reigns hates the way that Jey makes him feel. So at the end of Survivor Series, Chris, it seemed like Jey had finally gained Reigns' respect. So it's strange to me, or it was strange early in the show, to see that manipulation continue. They sold it pretty well with Jay acting confused. He walked by Otis as Otis made his entrance to the ring. And then he grabbed a steel chair backstage and absolutely destroyed Otis with it. He drilled him like five to seven times at the chair, beat the hell out of him. This was kind of a slow opening segment. But I think what I enjoy out of this entire thing, and you know, we're going to get to the rest in a moment, is they're very deliberate with their booking. There's nothing that happens whether it's a phrase used or a sideways glance, like the way he looked at Otis or Reigns kind of tearing him down and manipulating him again at the beginning of the show, there's really nothing that happens without a reason. And that can't always be said for WWE storylines, but everything here kind of ties together. And this, I thought, set the stage for a lot of things that would that would end up you know, unfurling over the rest of the show. Yeah, I... Nothing in this whole Roman Reigns reboot since his return, none of it feels wasted. It it, it feels like everything they hint at, everything they allude to, there's a payoff. And and I say it every week, but but everything involving him is must-see, not only because he does a great job with it, but because you know it matters. And you feel like you need to pay attention to what he's saying because it's going to come back around, something's going to happen. There's just... you know, I guess payoff is the word, but it's just more respect for you as a viewer where, where you know, they're telling you this matters and they're showing you that it matters by what happens later. So, um, yeah, just just every single time, every single week, it feels important and they make it feel important at the beginning. And then typically by the time you get to the end, you figure out why it was important. So this was once again, another one of those little Little time, you know, kind of a little story that they told uh, throughout the show that that paid off at the end. 
It did. Now we, next up in this kind of sequence of events, we had a match between Daniel Bryan and Sami Zayn. It was a non-title match, despite Zayn being the Intercontinental Champion. Uh, Bryan cut a promo about both Zayn and Jey Uso, saying he's basically accepted who they've, who they've become, and he's prepared to take both of them down. Zayn was trying to cut a promo. He got cut off. Uh, Brian eventually in the match dove from the top rope outside and missed Zayn. So he sold injured ribs throughout the rest of the match. Uh, Zayn ran Brian into the post and then hit a freaking brain buster on the ring apron in, in a sixth spot. Probably, I think, the best move of the week in WWE, that brain buster on the ring apron. Uh, next up came a blue thunderbomb. Brian came back with a yes lock, but Zayn got to the ropes. There were a couple tope suicidas, and then Zayn basically ran backstage. And it looked like it was going to be a double countout, but Zayn hauled ass back to the ring and just beat the 10. So it was then shown that Brian, the reason he wasn't able to come back, is he got attacked by Jay in gorilla position. And Kevin Owens eventually ran in for the save. This was really good booking. No one likes a countout per se. But this came with reasoning and storyline implications. So the finish was a storytelling device rather than a booking escape. It didn't necessarily matter who won the match. They were trying to advance what was going to happen next. The way Brian is connected now to both Zayn and Reigns makes me unsure what the booking is going to be going forward. And that's exciting because sometimes... Sometimes predictable things are good. But sometimes I like not knowing. So you have Brian, who you and I just talked about on the Survivor Series Instant Analysis and on the show afterward, last week's WWE show, we were talking about, hey, you know, Brian, it looks like he's headed for a feud with Reigns, but man, they should really do that at the Royal Rumble. I don't want them rushing it. And now it seems like Brian's kind of working with Zayn a little bit more and they're going in a different direction for TLC. And I'm starting to wonder, well, maybe they are going to save Daniel Bryan for the Royal Rumble. So Silver King's happy. And I thought, again, as a second step in the storytelling on Friday, this really hit for me. Well, I'm not sure either. But part of the reason for that is because of um, the promo Big E E and Sami Zayn uh, afterwards. That's right. After all that. So so that kind of hinted that Big E is getting in the intercontinental picture too. So, But but either way, it's fun when like different stories and people just interact and it feels like a living, breathing universe where people aren't siphoned off into their own silos with their own stories. It makes perfect sense that Jay would do it. Everything that happened made sense in the story based on what's happened over the past few weeks. It's fun when things get mixed together and you can do different things out of this. Maybe we get a Daniel Bryan, uh, a Daniel Bryan Biggie versus Sami Zayn and Jay tag match at some point, like as opposed to just, repeating the same things over and over and over. This is how it should always be done, where you have inter stories inter, kind of intertwining with each other and, and they can go a few ways. So um, I, I like that. I like that Sami Zayn won the way he did. I like that they revealed kind of how it happened. Just, just real right. solid booking. They didn't just have him run back and have you think like, oh, Brian must have gotten tripped up. Like they, they use the finish to tell another story. And you make a really good point. Obviously, we'll talk about a little bit later where the intercontinental title picture may be going. But yes, to your point, maybe what they've done is, again, taken Brian out of action 
at the hands of Jey Uso for another you know period of time, three weeks or so, get through the pay-per-view, and now you have another ready-made challenger right there for the title. So all of these things that I was kind of hoping would happen, they're happening, but they're happening in an even better way than I expected based on what they're doing with Kevin Owens. So you had Owens uh, step up to Reigns and Jay backstage after that attack on Daniel Bryan, tore down Reigns, said SmackDown isn't his playground, no one cares about his ego trip, and he treats his family like trash. Reigns told Jay that he needs to take pride in how his sons look at him, and Owens does not look at either of them with fear like he should. So that set up the main event match of Jay Uso versus Kevin Owens, another main event spot for Jay Uso, by the way. Mm-hmm. And this was another good piece of booking, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Owens hit a sent on off the ring apron. Jay worked on Owens' left arm. That stopped him from hitting like a pop-up powerbomb at some point. Owens blocked the Samoan splash and hit a pump handle neckbreaker. Awesome spot. Uh, Jay reversed a stunner, grabbed a steel chair, and he beat Owens with it for disqualification. Jay was incensed, right? Paul Heyman looked demonic almost backstage, and Reigns sat there or stood there just emotionless. Owens eventually countered a chair shot with a stunner, beat Jay with the chair about 10 more times while simultaneously screaming at Reigns through the camera. Owens said he fears no man, including Reigns, and dared him to meet him face to face while standing on the announce table. Then he hit another stunner on Jay. Owens went outside. He sat at the head of the table, the head of the announce table, and like taunted Reigns as SmackDown went off the air. So you have a DQ finish, which we don't love, but at the same time, clearly they're getting the chair involved here. And I don't know if that's going to lead into a chairs match between Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns, potentially at the pay-per-view, but that device was utilized here. You had... Kevin Owens, still, despite being a face, getting, I shouldn't say getting, finding an intensity that he has not had in this face role since he made the turn. And man, this entire freaking thing was clicking here. There's another part to this, but I'm going to pause because I don't know if you saw the rest of what I was about to talk about. But man, this was hitting. You want to talk about ending a show on a high note. You and I talk about not ending on a cliffhanger where you're, where action continues and you don't know what that action is because they don't put it online, they don't tell you, but rather on a cliffhanger where you want to know what the person's response is going to be. That's what this was. This was a cliffhanger end where now Friday, I'm excited to watch SmackDown because I want to know how Roman Reigns is going to address Kevin Owens. Yep. You know, this, this feels like Kevin Owens going into WrestleMania with the with the Seth Rollins feud, he's kind of got you know he's always been you know he 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 plays up the the working man face when he's the face. We we all know he's better as a heel, but but he do, he does show a lot of fire as the 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 underdog um, face. And I assume what you were about to mention is the talking smack segment. Yeah, did you happen to see that? I watched it literally right before he jumped on because oh, I'd great. heard because I'd heard good things about it. Talk amazing about it, yeah. promo. Paul Heyman and, and Kevin Owens sitting next to each other in the talking smack stage. Uh, it, it, Paul Heyman has tweeted the three parts out. If you want to go watch it, that that's where I found it. Um, mm-hmm. And and they're just like having a conversation to each other. It's not like a yelling, screaming promo. And honestly, it's the most we've heard from Paul Heyman. I think this entire. Roman run because because we know Roman is 
you know, speaking for himself and all these things. This was the first time we really had Paul out on his own uh, speaking for Roman Reigns kind of, while still deferring to him, talking about and just doing what Paul Heyman does best, which is building up Kevin Owens, talking about how great he is, talking about how ruthless he is, talking about how people think he's a scum when, when they're talking behind Kevin Owens' back, just really hyping up Kevin Owens, just really great stuff. And honestly, as is often the case with some of these, it's the kind of thing I wish they had put on TV somewhere. Uh, just, just, just because it's it does such a good job of adding, uh, adding to Owens' side of all of this and, and getting you excited for the match. So I don't know if they'll put it in the video package or what, but um, uh, that talking smack segment did a really, really good job of of selling this match for for this week now too. Yeah, it's it's actually difficult to describe it because, like you said, it was more of a real conversation where, again, and we talk about this as well, which when you when you have confrontations between heels and faces, the idea is not necessarily to tear the other person down because you want them to appear as if they are a real great, strong contender. Yep. So when your guy beats them, that is a big win. And Paul Heyman does that and has done that for Brock Lesnar, and now he's doing it for Roman Reigns. You know, you think about all the times where Paul has kind of said, Roman, you are great. You're a future Hall of Famer. But I'm talking about when he was managing Lesnar or when he was the advocate for Lesnar. Uh, you're the best ever, except for Brock Lesnar, right? Like you build him up to that degree. So that's what Paul Heyman did. And as great as the final segment on SmackDown was, yes, you do need to actually go search out this segment from Talking Smack, like you said. Find Paul Heyman's Twitter account, watch the three parts. It's also on Talking Smack. So if you have WWE Network, you can watch that show. You can fast forward to the final third of it, I believe, is when Owens is on. But it was great. And, uh, and inside of that conversation, Heyman basically admitted and said straight up that Owens is the number one contender. So, yep. you know, right there, it, you know, we're right off the bat, we're going to have Reigns and Owens probably headline TLC. Tonight, you know, I'm not, not going to jump ahead, but we got our main event from the Raw side for TLC and credit where it's due for both shows. And we'll talk about it as we go on here. We have mid-card matches. Finally, I mean, it feels like it's been four months, but we have mid-card title feuds. It seems like set up for both shows and even tag team potentially, but we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. So now it feels like they're kind of rolling again. The storylines are getting going. There are some pitfalls. There, are, there were some negative parts from Raw and SmackDown this week, but at least in terms of the main storyline on SmackDown, I thought it was a huge, a huge home run. Yeah, and SmackDown has really a, a number of times this year held big matches on SmackDown and, and tried to make the show feel like a big deal as well. So I think this is a, a another step in, in a good direction for that. Definitely. Now let's move over to Raw, where they determined through a match the number one contender for the WWE Championship. Riddle was all amped up backstage talking to Keith Lee about their match. And then Lee disappeared mid-conversation because he couldn't take it. Uh, Riddle then found AJ Styles, cracked jokes with him that made almost laugh. Uh, Riddle was great, honestly, backstage in both segments. And on Raw Talk last week, again, I know not all of you watch these other shows, and sometimes I don't either, and I have to catch up on them. But Riddle was pumped as all hell after his great match with Sheamus last week. And that carried over into a Raw Talk segment. So they've taken Riddle from kind of this happy-go-lucky only guy to also a guy who gets excited for his opportunities and 
you know, is trying to kind of jaw back and forth with some pretty big name talents. So it's good to see him developing this way. Uh, but let's move on to the match. We eventually saw AJ Styles defeat Riddle and Keith Lee in a sudden death triple threat match, which, by the way, <laughs> is just a triple threat match. I was there was, <laughs> there's no special rule. It's just the first fall. I don't know. I don't know what other triple threat. I mean, maybe an elimination triple threat match, but I, yeah, I, they kept piping up. I kept seeing sudden, like even before the show, I was like sudden death. But what does that mean? Is it? I thought like someone might get stabbed. With I, the was like, I was like, I was like first like fall. I was like first fall wins, right? That's how triple threats that, normally work. Am I crazy? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe Vince got sudden death in his head somewhere and just had to go with it because yeah maybe you saw a movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme I, and, uh, yeah I don't know it was just a very weird just another one of those weird quirks they sometimes do that is completely unnecessary. yeah I mean look it's it's obviously a promotional tactic to get people to watch yeah Raw, but I mean just you can figure it's out it's a number one contender match I don't know we don't need it yeah, I don't need uh, we don't need a sudden we don't need a, yeah. a non a non non-stipulation stipulation if anything do a elimination match where now that's oh wow that's unique yeah, I find like, that more interesting. Right, that's the unique push if you're going to go in that direction. But okay, anyway, so Styles ended up winning. Riddle hit a springboard floating bro again. I love that move. Uh, he countered a spirit bomb from Keith Lee with an armbar and then Lee swung him while he was in the armbar into Styles. This got really creative. Uh, Riddle broke up a superplex but couldn't powerbomb Lee, so Keith Lee threw him aside. Lee then pushed Styles off of a cover onto Riddle for another cover. All three of them traded blows and reversals until Styles caught Riddle with the phenomenal forearm for the win. So my feelings were mixed on this entire thing. The match was good, but it could have been great because we know what these guys are capable of doing. There was really no good reason on a three-hour show that this did not get 10 more minutes. The finish was acceptable and it was clean, but it was also expected and by far the most boring choice of the three to just go ahead and have Styles win as opposed to put new blood in the main event division. And the director also chose the wrong camera angle because Riddle was just staring at Styles, like waiting for him to hit the finisher. And then he gets hit with the forearm and loses. It was the second time on the show where the finish came like blatant out of nowhere without the person really who took the finisher they shouldn't have, basically. They should have been able to get out of it. So that was a really weird moment. But more than anything, this just fell below my lofty expectations based on how great all three of these guys have been in recent weeks. The backstage segments were great. The matches last week, maybe you didn't like all the finishes, but they picked the right people and, and Sheamus and Riddle had an absolute banger, certified banger. And this really should have been another one, but ultimately for me, it just wasn't. Yeah, and I think it was the right kind of way it resulted. Um, you know, Keith Lee looks good, and, and you know he's kept safe and all that stuff. So it was it. How it, many triple it, threat matches is Keith Lee going to be in where he does not factor? Right, into it's just it, 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 I get they're trying to protect him. AJ Styles was the right guy to win it. Riddle getting the pin works. It was a fine. It was a fine result. It was fine. It's just yeah. It, it's just one of those. Yeah, you kind of you kind of think it could have been better. And I know that the timing was weird, kind of in the in the show, like like you said with um, halftime of Monday Night Football, assuming that that was kind of the plan for it. Um, which, you know, with the way the show ended, I'm not so sure. 
which we'll get into later, but I know that was something you, you, I think you tweeted about at the time. Um, so just to clarify what you're saying for so people who, for yeah. people who don't follow us at getting overcast, even though I promote it every week. So this went off at the start of halftime uh, for the, uh, the Seahawks Eagles <laughs> game that I do not want to talk about. Don't want to think about it again. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, so this went off at halftime and I was of mixed emotion because on one hand, it's the number one contendership. There's stakes on the line. That should be a main event match. On the other hand, hour three of Raw does worse straight up than hour two does. And you want more eyeballs on it and it's halftime of the game. So yeah, maybe you do put your best match at that time slot, especially given, and we'll talk about it momentarily, what did happen in the main event. I don't know that that could have happened at another point of the show. Right. So ultimately, I think in retrospect, I would give it a thumbs up for that decision. But in the moment, I was kind of sitting there like, yeah, it kind of feels like a number one contendership should main event. You say, yeah, that's what I typically think. And it it felt, I, I guess that's the best way to sum up the, the feelings on the match was the quality of the match was not a main event number one contendership type of, of match, basically. So it, it was fine. I mean, yeah. <laughs> It, it, it just real quick, real quick on the riddle stuff. I've not been super into him the last few weeks, as I've said, and I, I, someone on Twitter mentioned it, and I think I agreed. I think the biggest problem with the riddle character is it, it feels like they're trying to do. If, I know it's, I know it's his personality, but it sometimes feel like they're trying to do what they did, what they used to do with Rob Van Dam. But the problem is, riddle just he's coming off as like dumb. Like to more than he's coming off as chill in moments. And it's just kind of taking me out of his character because because otherwise I, I get what they're going for. Some of it just feels like a stretch. And he had that promo. Uh, I don't know what point of the show it was, but it was with uh, MVP. Yeah, I think, I think it was afterward. And, and, and it just it, it didn't it just it didn't hit with me. I did laugh, though, when MVP said to him, uh, I think you're dumb. I think your ideas are ridiculous. And I'm glad you lost. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just love the way he delivered it. And it's just it, just on the riddle idea in general. Uh, that's just kind of where I feel with him coming out of this this last couple of weeks. I said this last week. and I'm not going to you know dwell on it too much. But if people don't like riddle or the character, I will not argue. It's your prerogative to like or dislike any wrestler or gimmick. You know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. But this is the guy. Like, I mean, I've interviewed Riddle numerous times and he's not dumb, but mm-hmm. he is laid back and casual with everything that, that, he, that he does. And the character isn't dumb. It's also not a pothead. It's more of like an airhead type of character where he's just oblivious to how he is perceived by others. And I like the character. It's totally different than anything else that we have in WWE or AEW or really NXT. It's just this guy being an amped up or actually toned down. It depends how you want to, you know, what edge of the coin you kind of want to, you know, work with here. Version of himself. And I thought it really shined in all three backstage segments. I loved all of them. The first two that I already mentioned, the one with MVP where he's pitching more ideas uh, ragging on Lashley, then Lashley comes up from behind him, puts him in the hurt lock. You know, it seems like they're using this to push Riddle. I mean, this guy has been 
heavily featured now on consecutive editions of Raw. Not one segment, not one match, multiple segments and two highlight matches. I thought, you know, I said this last week, I thought we were going to get Lashley and Keith Lee in a program for the United States Championship. It seemed like that was the clear booking given what happened last week with the disqualification from MVP in that match. Now, maybe Keith Lee's hurt or there's a conflict. I don't know. But it seems pretty clear to me now we're going in a direction with Riddle where he's going to be challenging Lashley for the U.S. title. And Mm -hmm. the disparity of character, um, sorry, I would say more than disparity, juxtaposing his character with MVP and Lashley on the Hurt Business, you can't ask for more than that, in my opinion. So look, again, not going to hate on anyone who doesn't like it. I love it. I really like Riddle, the wrestler. I like the character and I like the storyline they're doing with him. Yeah, I mean, again, however I feel, it's pretty clear they have a direction and moving him into the U.S. title picture, I think, would be good. So um, uh, it, it works out. Okay, so the third part of our main event here, we're going to stick with Raw. We had a booked main event of Drew McIntyre and Sheamus versus The Miz and John Morrison. So a lot kind of happened here. I'm going to break it down as quick as I can. Sheamus was on Miz TV early and they tried to create dissension within his team. Miz called him a joke, so he beat the crap out of both him and Morrison. And then Miz eventually grabbed the briefcase and hit Sheamus with it a few times. McIntyre never showed up to save him. Backstage later, Sheamus gave McIntyre crap for not coming out, but McIntyre basically motivated him for the match instead. There was also a Miz and Morrison promo that was kind of meaningless. And I again, something you could have taken out and given more time to the number one contendership match. Uh, Miz and Morrison backstage got Styles to agree to help Miz cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase. Styles gave his reasoning for it, which again, if it seems why would the challenger want to do this? Well, they explained it, right? And and that is the stuff I love. He said it would be easier to beat Miz than McIntyre. Morrison agreed, which was really funny. So, okay, now we have a plan of attack going into the main event. That starts, McIntyre cuts a promo about how he lost to Roman Reigns, but doesn't have much of a beef with Styles yet, promising that the TLC match will be phenomenal because they're both great wrestlers. He was more focused on Miz and Morrison rather than Styles and expressed a lot of confidence. So we get into the match. McIntyre had a hot tag uh, and he was rolling when Sheamus kind of like waved him down, asked to finish the match. Morrison pulled Sheamus off the ring apron as McIntyre went over for the tag. Then Styles hit the phenomenal forearm for the disqualification on purpose. Morrison and Miz were pissed off at first, but Styles started explaining, hey, I did this so that you could beat him for the title. Morrison got it before Miz did, hit Starship Pain. Uh, Miz then hit the skull-crushing finale on McIntyre. They got the briefcase. He was about to cash it in. Styles finally convinced him. And then McIntyre came to and drilled the Miz with a Claymore. McIntyre then stared down Styles, almost saved him by flipping him over the top rope onto his shoulder. And then Styles did the comedic, chicken shit, like hold me back, hold me back thing while almost was carrying him. I mean, he's a grown man. He easily could have gotten away, uh, which I thought was really funny. So there was a lot to kind of unpack. I like that they teased Seamus turning, even though they kind of gave away that he wouldn't when Miz and Morrison were pressuring pressuring him to. They added an element and a layer to the storyline where, yes, McIntyre, maybe he is too focused on Miz and Morrison and he didn't really think of Styles as a threat, but now he has to, considering Styles interfered. There was almost a cash-in, which is always exciting, especially at the end of Raw. I actually, honestly, Chris, I thought he was going to cash in. I thought we were going to see a title change here, but we didn't. 
And they also set up the storyline in the program going forward of basically Styles being a chicken shit heel who's going to try to get under and get over McIntyre every way he possibly can. So I think the match that they've set up, McIntyre Styles, is really good and really exciting. Um, the storyline that unfolded here, was it for me? Not really. You know, I didn't really love the idea of McIntyre and Sheamus teaming up against Miz and Morrison. Really not for a good reason. Um, I thought a lot of it was repetitive and, and they really tried to draw out the stuff with Sheamus possibly turning when he kind of knew that he wouldn't. But ultimately, I'm excited about the finish. And I thought the final five minutes of Raw were very exciting. I know. I, I thought this was a great, um, like, single episode story that they told over, I guess, two hours because it was the opening to the second hour. And, and then it, and then it, what they talked about came to fruition. I, I thought it was, it made perfect sense. For AJ, like as soon as AJ jumps and, and interferes, you're, I'm just like, what? Are we really in a main event on a, sh- a, sh- a schmaz? What is that? And then AJ is like, no, cash in. I was like, oh man, this is brilliant. This is smart. This is what all, this is what more challengers should want to do, depending on who has the briefcase. They should be wanting that person to cash in. I thought it was a great little bit of storytelling after they had hinted at it earlier in the show with Sheamus. The only thing I would have done was dr- keep AJ, Miz, they, they all beat down Drew, you know, deliver him a, a, a Styles Clash, whatever, and he's out. And Miz is going to cash in and then Sheamus saves him. That's what I was waiting for because I thought that would have that been a great way to bring the entire thing back around to really get, okay, Sheamus really is for real with McIntyre here and he's not going to turn on his friend and maybe he will in a couple months if he becomes a challenger like we think he could just as another way to build up their friendship so I thought it was a really just really pretty simple but really well told story over two hours it made sense the only thing I would have changed was um was was have Seamus bringing the save as, as opposed to Drew just kind of getting up and, and doing it himself it was also interesting that McIntyre really no-sold three finishers. Right. I mean, he took the phenomenal forearm, he took Starship Pain, he took Skull Crushing Finale, all three, and he's able to just pop right up and hit the Claymore? Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, it, it, it's, it, it I, wasn't necessary. And, and like I said, having Seamus save him would have, I think, added to the story they're telling. Right, and then maybe it creates something with Seamus and Miz you know, in the interim, like yeah. while we're waiting for this to end and maybe you're even distracted and Miz does cash in, but you don't, you're not thinking about it because Miz is working with Seamus somehow. You're right. It's just, yeah, I think that is why this episode for me was, and both of these, like these are the main events that we're talking about from Raw and both of them were fine, but could have been way better. And it's because of that. That's how I felt about Raw. Raw was fine. It was a B minus episode, a C plus episode, but man, like last week we got a B plus, you know, an A minus. So you're, you're, you have that ability every week to deliver a really good show. And when you fall a little bit short, you know, it's disappointing. Look, this isn't the raws we were getting a year ago where we were, you know, we weren't on this podcast necessarily, but where we were really down or I was at least on the product that WWE was giving us week to week, especially at the time on SmackDown. SmackDown leading in to WrestleMania was really bad. Raw was pretty much on fire, or it was at least going pretty well, I should say. I don't want to overstate it uh, with Paul Heyman. Things have certainly switched. SmackDown is by far the more consistent show. 
But Raw the last couple of weeks has been a big improvement what it was the last couple of months. So I do want to hopefully see that continue. So let's move on and talk about everything else that happened on Raw and SmackDown. This week, we'll stay with Raw at the start here. There was a moment of bliss to open the show with Randy Orton. Orton said he and The Fiend are the same, except The Fiend wears his paint on the outside, but Orton keeps his bottled up. He also said Alexa Bliss was The Fiend's weakness. She stood up to him, asked if the voices were real, and asked who's manipulating who. The lights went out slowly as they kept talking, and when they came back on, Bliss was in Orton's arms with The Fiend staring at him. So The Fiend approached with his arms out. Orton passed Bliss over before dipping out of the ring and asking, who's laughing now? So what I want, Chris, from the opening of a Raw is something that's going to hook me in and keep me watching. There is no question that this did exactly that. I was a little bothered that they didn't follow up on it. This would have been a really good situation for there to be a Firefly Funhouse in the third hour with Bray Wyatt consoling Alexa Bliss in some way, and then The Fiend kind of flashing on the screen and saying, hey, Orton, you're going to pay for that, or something like that. Now, I'm sure we're going to get it next week, but the pay-per-view's coming up. Maybe they're just not going to have a match on the pay-per-view. Maybe this is going to be a Raw feud. That is certainly possible. Uh, But Bliss was great in her role. I'm intrigued about the storyline. There's a lot of history already between Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. So while I wanted a little bit more, I wanted a second part later in the show, this was an A for me. This thing hit, it got me excited, got me curious, and I'm fully involved in the storyline. Yeah, I think with this with this storyline, I think less is more. I, I think they, they've got really good things. I just don't think they should overdo it. I think it's a kind, kind of the mysteriousness is a big part of the feel of the story. So if we're getting multiple segments throughout every show, uh, it might get wandered down a bit. Still, it was. So, so I think that was fine. And there's one other thing Alexa said that I wrote down in my notes. She says uh, to, to Orton, well, I wouldn't feel phenomenal if this happened to me last week, kind of as a lead into a video package. And, mm-hmm. and as she says that, the camera cuts to Orton and he turns his head because I'm pretty sure he was smiling because <laughs> it was pretty funny the way she said it. Uh, and and uh, every, every once in a while, Orton just kind of can't hold it in when something's kind of just goofy happening. So I, I thought that was kind of um, funny. I, I, I thought this I, I thought this was played out well. Alexa Bliss continues to be honestly maybe the second best promo on the roster right now behind Bray. I mean, she's really killing it in this role and just the the look she's giving the fiend when he's holding her at the end, uh, just, just really, really good stuff between, between them and, and what they have going on. I like, I like that they're leaning into voices in his head, mysterious, who's kind of the, 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 the weirder one, you know, they kind of did this with the, the, uh, the, the, whatever that match was called with Orton and, uh, Bray when the, the house. What was that called? Haunted House of Horrors. House of Horrors. House of House Horrors. Of Horrors? Yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. what that was? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think Piece it's of garbage. Yeah. So I, I like that they're that they're pointing back to it. I like that um, Randy's 
not afraid of the fiend. He's basically saying, I'm more messed up than you guys are. And and uh, so it makes for an interesting dynamic between them, because I don't think we've really had this yet uh, with the fiend. Hey, House of Horrors. House of Horrors. You yeah. Cut off Abby. You can't do that. All right. Uh, let's move on. You mentioned this earlier. Sami Zayn and Big E getting into it backstage about the Intercontinental title. Big E said Zayn's entire reign was a house of cards. Zayn talked about uh, beating people with a 10 count. He took shots at Big E's title reign from 2013 being forgettable. Big E then grabbed Sami Zayn's hand and held it hard for 10 seconds, recalling back to the countout wins he's recently had, and Zayn was cringing in pain. Clearly, they are setting up an intercontinental title feud here, and I am all for it. This would be a great move to have Big E in a feud with Sami Zayn. It would be a great opportunity for a title change to put the strap on Big E and prime him for to eventually drop it and then move into that main event role that we all want to see from him. It is time to strap up Big E. And Zayn also happens to be the absolute perfect foil for him. Morning Woods is what Xavier calls it. Yeah, I, my only thought was, uh, is this enough time to turn around Big E for a possible WrestleMania main event if that's what they want to do, which we don't know if that's what they want to do, but I know we're all just, we keep thinking about it. If Who who naturally, who's going to be Roman's matchup at WrestleMania, we don't really know. But I, I'm excited for this. Two of the most just fun guys to watch. The promos are going to be great. The matches are going to be great. I'm just really looking forward to what this turns into, pretty much. Not, yeah, much, I mean, else we, to, not much really else to say other than just really excited, and I want to. I want to. I hope they really start getting into it this week. We do keep talking about that, and what I'm starting to wonder is maybe, like with Daniel Bryan here and Big E, and we're talking about Reigns. Yeah, you know, Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble, however many years from the date where everything turned for Reigns and and Bryan made his return. That's pretty poetic, right? If they go in that direction. But Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. I don't know if they can get to that. But if they can, if they can stretch it out to that level, that is so freaking money. Because look, there's the, the options for Mania right now on SmackDown the number one option we both know, Roman Reigns versus The Rock. Now, are they going to do that at WrestleMania 37 in Tampa with, let's guess, 10,000 people in attendance, right? And, and maybe zero, but we just don't know. Uh, no, they're probably not going to do that, but it's possible. It's still not out of the realm of possibility. Will they probably save it for 38 in Los Angeles if that is how everything ends up working out scheduling-wise? Yes, I think they would. If they don't go in that direction on SmackDown right now, your choices really are Big E and Daniel Bryan. We've been thinking Big E for a long time because of their decision to make him a single and go in this whole direction. What I'm starting to wonder is, what if they do decide to have it be Daniel Bryan on the SmackDown side? And they, they even hold it off past the Royal Rumble for him to feud with Roman Reigns. And they have Big E win the Royal Rumble itself and challenge the WWE champion. Whoever that may be, whether it's a Drew McIntyre, whether it's a heel, whatever the case. And the reason I say that is because New Day is on Raw. 
And if you made that challenge, it would almost serve two masters. One, Biggie getting a huge opportunity and going after the biggest title of his career. And two, the ability to rejoin his two best friends and stable mates in the main event potentially or co-main event of the biggest show of the year. So I do think Biggie is being primed for a WrestleMania major title match. But I'm wondering if our thinking this entire time has been a little warped and maybe it's actually the WWE title he's going to go after and not the Universal Championship. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's possible. I, I mean, I, I know we like fantasy booking and we're kind of just getting kind of way out here and we have a million different ideas for what we want. The truth do. is, man, WrestleMania is only like four months away. It's no, that's, that well, that, 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 that's what I'm saying in terms of what they are clearly doing with Big E here with an Intercontinental Feud. I, I think you can't, he has to win the title here. He can't lose his title, lose his feud. So yes. he's... If he he, loses this, he's not going to... So he's the champion, the IC champion in December. Do do you have him lose it, then win the Rumble, then go on? Is that, that, I mean, is that the the idea for a quick turnaround? I I know Kofi, you know, Kofi and Daniel Bryan both have had quick turnarounds to become the guy at WrestleMania, but those were kind of unique situations when people weren't behind them. It's very clear that they are behind Big E. So in terms of if, you know, by now... They have to know what they're doing at WrestleMania, and and this <laughs> I don't I don't think they have to. I, I, I mean, <laughs> if 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 you're well, if you're they have to know if, they, if, they have to know if they're gonna have the Rock or not, and and if if they do, yes, they're agreed. fine. This what w- what this tells me, Biggie going in their Continental feud, which I think would be a great feud, which I think will be great for him, which I'm really looking forward to. It makes me wonder if Biggie is not the main event of WrestleMania plan right now, uh, just. Timeline wise, I, I I could be wrong, but that that was just my first reaction when I saw second reaction when I saw they were looks like they're doing a Big E Sami Zayn thing. Well, look, they could also have the truth is they could have Big E win the title off Zayn and hold it through Mania, where he's just not the guy, but he ends up having a big Mania match, right? Sure, I, sure. I just mean I just meant in terms of facing Roman at, at Mania. Of course, of unless, course. I mean, unless you want to do, a, I, I'd be all down for a, a, a Hogan Warrior, you know, title versus title main event. Oh, man, that would be cool, too. The Intercontinental Champion wins the Royal Rumble. And yeah, I mean, that'd be awesome, right? Uh, And we just did it, winner take all, a couple of years ago. That was all the women's titles. Theoretically, you could kind of roll that back with these two. So there's a lot of different things they can do with Big E. I think the best part about it is think about how many years, maybe we didn't know the exact Mania main event, but you kind of had an idea, like you kind of knew we were going Drew McIntyre, Braun Strowman, early January last year, right? You knew for a calendar year we were going to get Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, and they just, everything they did played up to it, and then it failed when they actually finally got to it. We're, we're, we're four months out, I guess technically five, a little bit less, from WrestleMania, and I just don't know. I, I just don't know what these matches are going to be. We're guessing, we're fantasy booking, but hey, look, we thought for a while it might be Randy Orton versus Edge right, for the WWE Championship. They put the title on Orton. They took it right off and put it back to McIntyre. Is he going to carry it all the way to Mania? I just don't know. And that's kind of exciting to be this deep into the year and really not know what it is. And we have guesses. And, you know, I I could play the sound effect again. Sometimes predictable things are good. If Big E wins the Royal Rumble, I'm not going to be upset about it, right? But they could go in so many different directions that we're just not expecting that I'm just really excited and curious how things are going to play out. But the idea of Big E going back to this, getting this intercontinental title opportunity in December, possibly winning it, 
holding it for a long period of time. This could be a scenario where he does win the title and we don't even think about the Royal Rumble. He holds it until February, drops it, then is in the elimination chamber. And that's how he wins his way in. So there's so many different things that can happen with Big E. I'm just really excited to see him getting these opportunities and being put in these positions because it's been, I mean, forever, but really the last two years in particular where I've been just crowing for this guy to get singles opportunities. I hate that they had to break, quote unquote, break up New Day to do it, have them be on separate shows. But the end result of Big E getting individual one-on-one time and being in major matches with mid-carders and main eventers, that is really good news long-term. Okay, let's move on here. Uh, We'll stay with SmackDown. Carmella taped a promo backstage about Sasha Banks being an embarrassing champion because of how easy it's been to attack her. She said that she lost herself when she started dancing, catering to the fans. Carmella snapped her fingers to call for a drink and end the promo. And you saw champagne come in the frame. And then it turned and you saw Sasha's four finger boss ring show up from off camera with really slick camera work there. She locked in the bank statement. This was Carmella's best work since returning. And it was a really good quick segment to kind of continue building their feud and their storyline without getting too into the weeds of promo back and forth in the ring with no one there. And really, what's the point of it? They did something here to make sure they were on screen. It sold the feud for me. I mean, I don't think Carmella is any threat to take the title from Sasha Banks, but I really did enjoy how this, you know, kind of played out. I know, I know I periodically bring it up here. I'm always curious what the, the YouTube views are on some of the things to see just kind of what went over big and what didn't on the show. The Carmella Sasha Banks promo bit there had got a million views on wow. on YouTube. And the only other things that got a million were the Jey Uso Roman Reigns uh, bits from SmackDown. Everything else was in the 500,000-ish or below range. So clearly the Sasha Banks stuff, Carmella stuff, is uh, garnering a lot of attention. And yeah, I, I thought it was a nice little bit. I, I think we... We finally got some real uh, explanation from Carmella about what she's doing, why she's doing this, why she's different, this kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it was fine. It, this is, you know, this is pretty, it's kind of by the books type of booking stuff here, but it, it, it's simple and it works. And, and the execution on that on that promo was uh, was good. It is. And there's two things. Number one, Sasha Banks is a confirmed draw, like in ratings, in YouTube views, social media, whatever it is, she is active. So meaning Charlotte's out, Becky's out, et cetera. She is their biggest star in the women's division right now. She needs to be treated as such. And I think they've done a pretty good job doing so. But man, they got to get her on TV in main event matches. Mm -hmm. Sasha Banks and Bailey, you know, I understand they had the Roman Reigns match, but that thing could have main evented Hell in a Cell. Um, the other match, I know they use it to kick off Raw. They got a huge rating, like a 2.5, like half a million more than they normally get. So it's pretty damn big. But it probably should have main evented SmackDown that week. And, you know, my point is Sasha's a huge star. That's number one. Number two, with all of the women currently injured or out of action, particularly on Raw, and with a relatively lacking women's division on SmackDown from a size standpoint, the women's booking hasn't been that strong over the last few months. It's actually been a bit of a down point for WWE, despite the Sasha Banks Bailey feud being so good and really delivering from a match quality standpoint. 
The booking for the rest of the women, the tag team titles, the Raw women's title, we're going to talk about that in a second. It's been relatively lackluster. So as we get into WrestleMania season, as potentially some women start coming back, I don't know about Naomi and Charlotte, or now Mandy's hurt. I don't know what their timelines are like, but hopefully sooner than later, we're seeing a little bit more attention, a little bit longer term booking for the women's division, because right now we just talked about all these different things that can happen for the men. I don't know what the hell is going to happen for the women unless Becky Lynch miraculously comes back from maternity leave, you know, three months after having her child. I don't think that's going to happen. So me, I'm thinking, okay, Charlotte Oscar, like what else would it be? On the SmackDown side, I don't know who's going to challenge Sasha Banks unless it's Bianca Belair. That's face face. How do we get there? Is it a Royal Rumble win? And if so, what the hell do you do in the four months between now and then? So that I have some concerns about the women's booking right now, and, and we'll use that as a segue into Raw, where we had Asuka and Lana for the second week in a row fight Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax in a tag team match, a non-title match, despite Baszler and Jax being the women's tag team champions. Lana was getting her ass beat, but she was able to kind of get off Nia Jax's shoulder and run her into the ring post outside. Asuka was rolling after getting a hot tag. But Lana then tagged herself in, hit a crossbody on Baszler, who then not locked in the curfew to clutch on her until Asuka made the save with a knee to the back of Baszler's head, which was a pretty good move. Uh, Lana covered Baszler. She kind of fell on top of her for the clean but fluke. One, two, three. This actually wasn't terrible. Like, it could have been so much worse than it actually was. And I mean that as a compliment because... Lana's not a good wrestler. So when she's in wrestling matches, you're hoping other people carry her. And I thought, you know, credit where it's due, Nia Jax kind of carried her a little bit. Shayna Baszler did as well. How, wait, wait, Os- wait, wait, wait. And Oscar did I just, too. I just wanted to be on the record here that that you have said Nia Jax carried I know. another wrestler a little bit. I know. It's, it, it's weird, man. Like, Nia, since the tag team started with Shayna Baszler. She's been not bad. She was horrible, horrendous beforehand. Somehow she's not that bad now. And maybe it's Baszler and the dynamic of them kind of working off each other, her being a bully, which she should be. She should never really be in in a lesser role. To Lana, the Samoan drops maybe endeared me to her because I find that very funny. I don't know, man. I don't I don't understand why I like this. A lot of people don't like it. I, I totally get it. I'm not saying it's good wrestling. I'm not saying it's good booking. But for some reason, it kind of all fits together for me. And I'm guessing the next move is Asuka and Lana in a women's tag team match. The only way they could ruin it is by putting the titles on them. So hopefully Shayna or Nia or a combination, they take Asuka out, they pin Lana, they get out of this and retain the titles. But it seems like this has kind of been thrown together a little bit because Mandy got hurt. They didn't really have or they didn't want to put Peyton Royce and and Lacey Evans in a tag team title challenger situation. So they decided to go in this direction. They also, by the way, don't have a singles challenger for Oscar right now. So I have no idea. Maybe they were going to use Reckoning in that role and have her challenge Oscar, But instead... They're kind of doing something on the side with Dana and kind of going in this direction. I think this is being booked on the fly. And I think that yeah. plans had to change because Mandy Rose got hurt. So maybe I'm grading on a curve and giving a little bit of a break, but this really could be horrible and it's not horrible. So it's a C, like 
take your C, go home. It's a passing grade. Yeah, and, and I've I continue to like Naya and Shayna together, just kind of when they're interacting on on screen and stuff like that. It's been pretty good. I don't think they're going to lose the tag belts here. Um, you know, this is an example of, you know, it'd be a great spot for the Iconics if you didn't break them up for no reason <laughs> right. and then kind of maybe put Peyton Royce back in the tag team. Or, you, I mean, it, it continues the Lana story, so it, it, it's fine. I, I think what they're doing works perfectly fine, but I I don't think we would have complained if on the fly they just decided to reunite the Iconics and they make a run at the tag belts for a couple of weeks for the figure something out. I, I don't know, but um, yeah, it, make it's Make a fine. trade or something. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like you know, with, with Lana, you can tell there's a lot of kind of you know, waiting to set up a move or stuff like that. It is what it is. You know, we've talked about her. Um, we've talked about she, her. Yeah, she's not good. She's she's bad in the ring. Yeah, I, I but I, I got to say, though, I still really like that entrance theme with, with, <laughs> the, with the saxophones blurring. I don't know why. It just yeah. kind of gets me going every time I hear it. Big fan of that entrance music. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's really not good in the ring. The mic work's improved. The reaction back and forth with Asuka is kind of funny. It's just, it's... It's acceptable. You know, um, I think WWE, maybe maybe we can give them a little bit of a break just because of how strong the women's wrestling is and has been and, and how strong the division is. And because that show in particular is dealing with numerous injuries and absences from people that they would otherwise be there. But yeah, it is tough to kind of see Asuka as the women's champion, the women's tag team champions on the other side. And none of them have real feuds of, of substance. Like Asuka not having a women's challenger for like three months. It's kind of ridiculous, right? My guess yeah. is, by the way, that they end up doing a tables match at TLC because of the announced table and all that. And they ha- end up having a tag team title match there. Mm. That way Asuka doesn't defend the title. But all I know is I'm not going to be grading on a curve or giving any bit of a break the Monday Night Raw after TLC. Because once that starts... There needs to be a defined challenger for Asuka heading into Royal Rumble. She's too good. She's too strong of a champion for them to kind of just forget that she has the title. So I'm not accepting that. Uh, We had a Symphony of Destruction match on Raw. Jeff Hardy defeating Elias. This is the third such match that we've had, by the way. And all three of them have been different levels of good-ish. Okay, ish. The bronze. I think the first one was Braun Strowman and Shinsuke Nakamura. That was the best of all of them. Uh, The second one was Braun Strowman and Elias, which was okay. I think Braun hit him over the back with a base, and that was pretty good. That was the finish here. This one had the best, maybe moves of all three, but man, it finished in a dangerous spot. So Elias put guitar picks. between his knuckles and punched Hardy. That was kind of inventive. Then he hit him with a guitar midair during Whisper in the Wind. Hardy dodged Elias, who was charging at him, and Elias jammed a guitar handle into a speaker and got electrocuted, even though (laughs) the handle was wood. So that didn't make any sense. Uh, Hardy then set Elias on a table outside, piled a bunch of instruments like violins and violas and stuff all on top of him, and hit a pretty ridiculous, insane swanton bomb off the top of the ring post through the table outside the ring. But dude, the way he landed, Hardy nailed the back of his head on the steel steps. That was 
super dangerous. They checked on him. He was okay. That was the finish anyway. So he just rolled on top of him for the one, two, three. The finish was solid. The match was okay. But man, like that for a moment took me out. And I was just like, holy shit. How did they not think to move the stairs? Whether in kayfabe, someone runs into them or physically making sure the steps are not there before the match begins. If you know that's going to be the finish. That was way too dangerous. And I like spoke out loud. Holy shit. I can't believe like, I hope he's okay. Yeah. So that, that's yeah. how I felt. WWE on Fox tweeted a quote from Hardy. I think a clip where he said he's okay. So yeah. I mean, great. Like, thank God. Yeah. But he shouldn't have been in that position. Yeah, but so was what it was. It was storyline wise, you know, it, it makes sense for that to be the end, kind of. But they were really announced. He was really emphasizing in the match that it would um, that that Elias really needed to get a win, and so so he doesn't. I, I I'm curious where both of these guys go next. I think this was a perfectly logical story, you know. Elias is back from injury, still believes it was Jeff Hardy. It's fine. He's a delusional heel. I, I, I think it was fine. So uh, curious where it goes. It was what it was. I, I, I like that Elias has an entrance now, um, as opposed to always just starting in the ring. His previous theme was really good. I, I think the, the song he's singing here is fine. I like it. I, I find it kind of catchy. So um, kind of surprised they're not... I guess doing more with him considering, you know, he did technically have a number one selling soundtrack on, on soundtrack. iTunes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was under soundtrack. Um, but, uh, and, and I think he's really talented and could, can do a whole lot of things. So I'm curious to see where he goes next. Cause he often gets stuck in these feuds where he's just like wrestling the same guy over and over and over. And, and I just would like to see him do something different and, and bigger. Yeah, I mean, you have to imagine this is the end of the feud, and I'm okay with having a TV feud between these guys. But yeah, you're right. Coming out of it now, it's like, well, the mid card's kind of spoken for, the main event's kind of spoken for. So what are these guys going to do? Hey, look, it's not the worst thing that people are off TV for a couple of weeks, right? WWE rotating talent and making sure everyone gets used is 100% okay. Um, maybe next week we get a little bit more women. Neither of these guys are on screen and we continue with the next thing that I'm going to talk about in a moment. Maybe, you know, they figure out a new storyline for Elias, but Jeff takes a month off. Like that's actually not the worst thing in the world to make sure that there's fresh faces and different people competing all the time. But yeah, I do wonder kind of what is the direction they go now with these guys and, and what kind of feud do they start next? The truth is on, on raw, really on both shows, they really need tag teams. And if there was a way to develop one of these guys into a tag team with someone else on the show, that would go a long way to kind of solving the problem of a very bloated mid-card on Raw. There's a lot of mid-card men's talent on the show right now, and they got to figure out some things to do with them. Speaking of, we had Ricochet in a singles match against Slapjack. So there's a great promo at the start from Mustafa Ali and Slapjack, and they played Ricochet's Twitter promo on TV. We talk about it all the time. Some of the best promos are on social media. Play them on television. They did it. Yes. Baby and, steps. And, yes, yes. And the best the best thing they've done with Retribution was the, the fleet 
video, the fleet videos they put on Twitter. Yeah. That explained what they're doing and why they're doing it and why they're here. And it's like, wait, this is what, this is what I've been waiting for. We're going to, we're going to debut it in a Twitter fleet. And they just, but you're right. This is baby steps. By the way, I've been on Twitter for like 11 years, but I, for some, I don't use the official Twitter app, I guess. I can't see fleets. I've never seen one. I don't, I'm assuming they're like, I just Snapchat get them on my phone. It, it, it's just, it's, it's just Instagram stories. It's literally okay. the same thing. I, I, I see it's it on stupid. my phone. I'm on tweet deck on my computer, so I don't see it all the time, but yeah, I just, I, 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 I usually I'm on the computer. I use the website. I have a, an app. Uh, I'm not going to promote them because it's a app you pay for and they're not paying us to promote them. Um, but I have all these different devices that aren't the official Twitter app, which I actually don't like. So I'm I'm completely blind to fleets, but I did see tapes of them or people uh, saving them, I guess. And and those were great. And some of the Twitter promos that Retribution and Mustafa Ali have cut have been some of their best work. And to not see them on TV has been disappointing. But we did get this from Ricochet and they showed the Twitter icon. WWE, take a note. That was very good. Do that way more often. Your talent cuts great promos on social media way better than the stuff oftentimes that are on television. So we get the match, Ricochet versus Slapjack. Ricochet's winning. He has all the momentum when Ali called the other two Retribution members down to the ring. So he goes ahead and hits a tope corkscrew to take them out. As Ali was kind of directing traffic, Dana Brooke pops in from out of nowhere, slaps him across the face because Reckoning attacked her last week. So I'm thinking, great, Ricochet's going to win. Ali eventually got on the ring apron and distracted Ricochet. So Slapjack hit him with a really cool finisher that I don't even know how to describe and got the win. It sucks that Ricochet lost, but it's also tough. This was very NWO, you know, old school faction type of booking. You're four on one. Like you're not supposed to win when it's four on one unless you're like a main event level face. So him losing wasn't necessarily a big deal, but it probably would have been beneficial for Ricochet to beat Slapjack. You know, if it was T-Bar or Ali and he lost, okay, that's fine. Slapjack Ricochet should probably beat. Yeah, well, it's just retributions in this tough spot where we feel like they need wins. And and and, and so you got to get them somewhere because they've never they right. haven't really done any squashes with these guys. So kind of gets it in a weird spot. I know they won the big five man tag match before. uh Survivor Series, kind of flukedly, the Raw team had it won. But um, yeah, I, I thought they might build on that a bit more and they have it be like, hey, you know, they won Survivor Series. We we beat them. We are the we are the most feared group in, on, on Raw and, and our next target is you, Ricochet, and boom, off we go. But uh, yeah, just kind of as is always the case with Retribution, hit and miss, some good, some bad. This This seemed like and attempt to uh, make them uh, better. But then something that happened in the show did the op- later in the show did the opposite. Yeah, and, and it's just tough because like you, you, we can't sit here on the show and say Retribution needs to actually win. And then they win and we're saying, well, Re- Retribution shouldn't have won that match. It's like they're going to have to beat someone and look, you know, like it or not, there's a, like I just said a moment ago, the mid card is loaded right now. You're not going to have Retribution beat Keith Lee. You're not going to have him beat Matt Riddle. Who are you going to have him beat? They should. Yeah. Be going, what they should be doing, honestly, is going after the tag belts. But they should be. That is correct. Yes. 
They should be going after the tag team titles. You can have Xavier and Kofi lose singles matches. You can eventually have them drop the titles. Then Retribution has them. You're 100% right. That is, and you've, that got, is and you've got Hurt Business right there. They've got a history. And, we, you should have, we, and you should have Reckoning going after the Raw Women's title, which, again, I do think was the plan. Yeah, we, we have... Yeah. We do, we, we, we do not have tag teams. Just anywhere you can naturally find a tag team, they should take advantage of that. Right, and they have a Twin Towers-like tag team Yep, that would totally work if they actually went, or Ali and one of them, you know, mm-hmm. would totally work if they went in that direction. So let's stay with it, though. Uh, Dana Brooke fought Reckoning one-on-one. There was a short promo with Reckoning before the match with Ali. Again, it was pretty solid, no, nothing terrible. Uh, Mia Yim lost her mask. In the match, I'm not sure whether it was on purpose or not, but her not having it certainly made her look better and more believable as a character. Ali got on the apron again as a distraction, but Brooke was able to dodge a blindside kick and then roll up Reckoning for the win. I was angry that she lost her first match on Raw, but Ali got in her face and screamed about there being no failure in Retribution. So on one hand, it's an angle. On another, Retribution has been all about failure since the thing started in WWE on Raw. So how is he getting this upset at just her for losing? Is this actually a storyline where they're going to play into it? And she, over the next couple of weeks, builds up momentum and beats Dana Brooke, beats another person, then ends up going after Asuka. Is this them writing her off and sending her back to NXT? And we just have the four guys now? I don't know, you know, so it's retribution's tough and it's not necessarily getting better. They may be doing things that are okay with it week to week, but both of these segments, I mean, they're, they're maybe passing grades, but they're D's, you know, D pluses. They're not things that are really getting us excited about the faction. We we were so excited that we had the Hurt Business faction. They're constant or relatively constant losers. We're so excited that they have the retribution faction. They are true losers. Um, and we're kind of sitting here wondering again, what's the point of this entire thing? Yeah. I mean, Hurt Business, they have a title. They're going for other titles. They, they have set goals. I, I just, I don't know what retribution is here for and, and, and why they're, what, what their goal is. Do they want to win titles? Do they want to just wreck shop like they were doing? I just, I don't know why they're here. And the whole, that's literally the whole point of their characters is why they're here and just that just has not been made clear another thing about this uh, reckoning match was that her mask got knocked off like right away like right at the beginning of the match i couldn't tell i don't think she was taking it off because no that's she, what i was saying earlier i'm not yeah, sure if, it's on, if it was on yeah, purpose or not. because she came at dana brooke with the mask on to start the deal so it wasn't really acknowledged i was kind of waiting for them to be like Oh, that's Mia Yim from NXT because I wasn't, you know, because it hasn't totally been made clear if these are supposed to be the same characters or not. And we know NXT is in this universe. And so I I, I guess we're not. I, I, may, again, maybe it was an accident and they were just going to ignore it because it wasn't supposed to happen. But uh, it was hard not to notice because they've been in masks the entire time, except for Mustafa Ali and 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 um, and yeah, I, I, I wondered, if you know, he Mustafa Ali complaining about failure. I was, I'm wondering if in the next promo, he'll bring up her not wearing her mask for something. I, I don't know. You could, I, I think I, it looked like it was an accident. I think they need to lean into it and, and 
if he's going to be mad at her, have this be one of those reasons. Well, he does a really good job taking things that are either bad or accidental and, and figuring yeah. out a way to sell them in storyline. So I wouldn't be surprised if that actually happens. But I mean, look, is Retribution somewhat better than it was? Yes, Mustafa Ali's made it better. But you're talking about a marginal improvement. And a marginal improvement of shit is still shit, right? So <laughs> they got to figure out something to do with these guys to make me actually care, to make people think that they're actually a threat. I mean, they already got taken out by the Hurt Business. Really, that's something that should have been kind of built up. And it mm-hmm. kind of just, they just gave it away. So yeah, Retribution still not hitting, uh, still a down point, I think, for Raw, despite Mustafa Ali's, Mustafa, I'm sorry, Ali's promos being really strong and kind of, doing whatever he can to save this entire thing. I don't know if it has a point of savior that can actually come through. Uh, we'll stay with the women. Uh, over on SmackDown, Bianca Belair defeated Natalia in a singles match. This whole match was about Bailey on commentary taunting Belair. Belair pushed Bailey outside of the ring, punched her, I'm sorry, then pushed Natalia into her when Bailey hopped onto the ring apron and then rolled Natalia up for a win. Another roll up. This is Natalia. She can take a loss. She can eat the KOD. Bianca Belair needs needs clean wins with finishers, not roll-ups. Uh, I like the idea of a Bianca Belair-Bailey feud. I think that's great. Fantastic TV feud. Great way to get Bianca Belair over. If you want her to beat Bailey eventually with a roll-up, I'm okay with it. She does not need to beat Natalia with a roll-up on television. No, and, and this is I this has been the frustrating part for a few weeks now. They're like they're not fully leaning into Bianca Belair and making her the megastar that she can be and we know she should be. She doesn't need a roll-up victory over Natalia. I'm sure she'll get into a feud probably here with Bailey and win it. But like you gotta make her look really, really good doing this because that's the whole point of her character is that she's the best at doing all this stuff. She's not she's not generally the scrappy underdog yet. You had her in a survivor series situation where you could have done that and they chose not to. Um, So they've done a lot of, they've done a lot of telling with, they've done a good job. You know, it's a lot of show and tell is is kind of how you get these stories across. They've done a good job telling us about Bianca Belair, but these moments here, these last few weeks are when they're supposed to be showing us and we're not getting that. She's fighting Valley, but losing in a countout and, and letting Alana win a match. Now she needs a distraction roll up to beat Natalia because that's, again, got to be like 60% of all women's finishes. Um, just no need to do it. Like, just go for it. Like, you, they know what they have with Bianca Belair. It's, it's obvious. Just pull the trigger and start doing this. It's the same stuff as Keith Lee. And really, yeah. like, remember at the beginning of the Performance Center era, like when this pandemic started, they would have randomly like Brendan Vink and he would lose a squash match, right? Or they would call up Santana Garrett from NXT. Uh, I don't even think that she was one of them, but they'd call up random women from NXT. Now, I know they're being very careful with COVID protocols and they only want people in the building that are getting tested and whatever, and they don't want to cross-contaminate between what's happening at the Amway Center and NXT. I get all of that. But they were doing Raw Underground, okay, with all of those people for weeks. You can figure out some people that can come on to SmackDown and Raw and get Keith Lee and Bianca Belair and anyone else that you called up that you want to start pushing. Get them some squash victories and have them squash someone and then have Natalia 
come out and taunt her. Oh, great, you can do that. You could never beat someone like me. And then the next match you have a match, uh, next week you have a match. You have Bianca Belair beat Natalia while Bailey's taunting her. And then the next week you have Bailey win via DQ. And then you set up a match, you know, with a stipulation, whatever, where Bianca Belair beats Bailey via roll-up. And if you want to go in that direction, it's fine. But at least along the way, she's gotten two clean wins. Instead, and a roll-up is a clean win. I'm not saying it's not, but but just build these women, build these characters. You want these people to get over, right? It's mm-hmm. the whole point to get these new people over so they're threats, so people like them and buy their merchandise and cheer for them and become fans and want them to win titles. But if you don't give them any pushes, they're never going to get over. It's really frustrating. All right, let's keep going. A couple more things before we get out of here. We had Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode defeat the Street Profits in a non-title match. Montez Ford missed an early frog splash. Angelo Dawkins hit his really cool double underhook twisting neckbreaker type of move. And then he hit the anointment before Ford hit the cash out a second time, but the fall got broken up. Rude caught Ford with a roll up, presumably <laughs> setting up a title match in the future. Again, one roll up on a show in this particular situation, probably okay because WWE has this fascination of the t- champions having to lose a non-title match so that the challengers can get a title match. So if you want to do it here and you want to be tried about it, fine. But one, not three, not eight in two weeks, one. So, you know, this was fine. There was really nothing to it. Ziggler and Ruder as good challengers for them as any because there's no tag teams anywhere. So it, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, this is a... We thought we were going to get this... Uh like two pay-per-views or something. And I don't think we did. It's not a feud in which I expect them to lose the titles, but they need a feud. So it's, it's, it's something, I guess. All right. Uh, we had Cedric Alexander defeat Xavier Woods one-on-one back on raw. So new day beat the hurt business three times in title matches over the last two weeks, but they're still feuding. Technically, and technically two, technically no, three. There were three decisions. There was a double count out or whatever. What, what, what the hell was it? it? It was the count out. Was it a double count out? Or it was, was a lot. No, no, it, 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 it was, was a count, count out. out. It was a count out. Yes, correct. Yeah, because MVP pointed that out in his pro. Right. He wanted them to win. The, so maybe they didn't beat them three times, but they retained the titles three times. Yeah. In, ma- in matches with her business over the last two weeks. But nevertheless, it's still going on. And what's weird is they gave us the singles match this week in Alexander and Woods, they should have given us last week. Yes. Because they built the storyline <laughs> for the one-on-one match last week. So it's just so strange that they gave us the title match unnecessarily where they could have had this singles match last week and then given us the title match this week and actually promoted it. So why they did it this way, who the hell knows? Um, but the match was fine. Alexander cut a pretty strong promo beforehand and attacked Woods. Alexander hit the lumbar check out of nowhere for the win. It was weird. He dove outside. He did like a tope suicida and Xavier Woods dodged him and threw him into basically the barricade, then rolled him into the ring. But Alexander recovered so quickly that as soon as Xavier got in the ring, he picked him up in his finisher, which is not a move that like an RKO where you just catch someone. In it. Yeah. So the, the finish came out of absolute nowhere. I thought it was really strange that there was no setup to it. And like I said, this was the match I wanted last week. At the end, MVP and Shelton Benjamin were angry that Alexander celebrated by walking up the ramp without them, almost like his ego 
got the best of him. I'm all for Alexander getting a clean singles win. I'm all for these guys having a clean singles match. I like the idea of a feud with all four of these guys for the tag team titles. But to me, it's so overdone to this point. I think I don't have much of a choice. Mark and Zero. I got to say Mark and Zero. Yeah, and and I I really like the promos between these teams a lot. I I think a lot of them bring different things to the table. I really like Cedric Alexander and Xavier going back and forth. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad this feud's happening. It just, it feels like it's going backwards right now um, in terms of how they're telling the story, but either way, you know, I, I'm glad it's happening. And one, one other thing, I, I think we don't need to talk about it long, but Xavier Woods, that they opened by basically promoting that Xavier Woods is leading some new video game thing. And obviously these guys were promoted for being in gears war. Uh, I'm sorry, gears four. Uh, uh, last week, and I just I found it interesting that kind of where New Day is in terms of promoting themselves and stuff that's outside of pro wrestling compared to what we talked about last week with Zelina Vega and, and the people on Twitch, and and I, I guess just what what is the proper way to handle these things in WWE in order to get these outside opportunities? Is it because the New Day are are promoting themselves as the new day. Are they it's through WWE going through the WWE office on these things. I just, I'm, I'm yeah. curious what your thoughts are in terms of clearly, you know, there are opportunities in these very same fields, but, but for whatever reason, Xavier Woods and, and new day have pretty much always have, especially with up, up, down, down have, I guess, had the support of the company in these endeavors. Yeah. I think it's the willingness to uh, have WWE, handle it for you almost handle the bookings handle the 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 deals i mean the gears of war thing is with new day you know it's it's not just the three guys in their real names it's Kofi Kingston Xavier Woods and Big E they're using their likenesses and names from WWE within that with up up down down that's a show that's a youtube show that's within WWE's universe and atmosphere mm-hmm. even though they kind of use different names on the show so uh, I think that's why that's allowed and other things aren't. Look, the, the truth is, and it sucks, we, we had this long conversation with Zelina Vega. You guys can go back and listen to it. But WWE, it's, you know, I, I don't like to paint. I think people exaggerate the evilness of WWE. They're a corporation. And most corporations are evil one way or another, right? You know, just think, I don't know if anyone watches Mr. Robot, but it's called E-Corp for a reason, right? Corporations, for the most part, major, large, billion-dollar corporations, they're about making money and keeping their shareholders happy. If they see avenues to make money that they are not exploiting or utilizing, they're going to try and attack those. And I think this new guy they brought in, Nick Khan from CAA, saw that all these wrestlers were making pretty significant money Um somewhat selling on their names and likenesses from their WWE characters through all these other avenues, Twitch and OnlyFans, I guess, to some degree for Zelina uh, and some of these other cameo things, et cetera. And they're like, well, we want our cut if they're using their characters. And I thought it was going to be okay when it seemed like they were just going to say, hey, don't use your characters, but go do whatever you want, but use your characters and have it and do it through us. But for them to go to the extent that they did with it surprised me, surprised everyone. That's why there was a groundswell of stuff happening. So this is just different, though. This is 
something Xavier's worked out through WWE uh, for the G4 hosting gig. He's going by Xavier Woods and not Austin Creed. So it's just different. It's them booking it for them. It's like when they book superstars into movies, whether it's WWE films or, you know, they have people use their ring names to be in other movies. It's just part of the corporate machine and therefore it's okay. And it's a double standard totally, but that's what it is. Yeah, I, I just, I found it interesting these last couple of weeks that, that, that it has been so heavily promoted. And honestly, I think it, it, we, we ripped WWE for some of the other stuff, but we don't want to pretend like these, these people don't have other opportunities. I, I think, I guess, credit to WWE that, and, and Xavier Woods that they have worked out something in some way where, where he is able to do these other things. And I think it's beneficial for both him and WWE, which is why I was still surprised that they were so against these Twitch things, because I think these are all opportunities for them to increase exposure for the company and for the, for the wrestlers and different things. So I think it's good that it's working out with, with Xavier Woods. I just, I found it interesting in light of kind of what's been going on there, that there, there was such this public push in, in, in a very similar direction. So it just, it, it, it's something that, um, yeah, the, really the cameo, the cameo stuff I understood way more than I did the Twitch stuff. Yes. Yes. It didn't really make sense. We talked about it because WWE could create its own Twitch channel and just have superstars on there and then promote it on their own ones. It Twitch stuff really didn't make sense. Cameo again, I'm not siding with them, but I just, I understood. You know, I understood where they were going with that. But all right, let's move on. We don't want this to go, the show to go too much further here. We'll wrap up with two more quick segments from SmackDown. Uh, we had Murphy defeat Baron Corbin. Not very clean, though. Uh, Rey Mysterio was backstage with the family, stumbling really through a promo about being glad Seth Rollins is out of their lives when Corbin interrupted and tore them all down. So basically they took Rollins out and they've inserted Corbin in. Uh, once the match got underway with Murphy, Aaliyah stood in the way when Corbin tried to do that run around the turnbuckle move. Corbin hit the deep six, then Ray distracted the referee. Dominic later distracted Corbin and, and then pushed his leg off the bottom rope after Murphy hit a V-trigger and got the one, two, three. Corbin was pissed about all the family interference after the match, challenged Murphy to a rematch next week, promising that he would be prepared. It was good to see Murphy in a singles situation. It was good to see him almost get a clean win over Corbin. But obviously, I'm worried they're just going to go back to 50-50 booking next week. Just got to let Murphy win matches and beat people. I saw a lot of criticism here that people thought this booking didn't make sense because Murphy got all this help and now the Mysterio family were acting as heels. I think that's total garbage commentary. Um, Baron Corbin went backstage and insulted every single member of their family to their face. Yep. So then they had a match and every single member <laughs> got revenge on Baron Corbin. Yeah. That's very simple booking. So I didn't think it was anything out of character, any bad booking by WWE. It made all the sense in the world. But am I a little bit worried that they're going to have King Corbin go over Murphy in a clean match Friday? And they've already booked it, by the way, and announced it. Yeah, I am a little bit worried about that. I still don't know what Murphy's doing with the Mysterio family. I don't know what's going to happen with them over the next few months with Rollins gone. I don't know what's going to happen when Rollins comes back. Usually that would be a good thing. Hey, Murphy's on TV. He's wrestling in singles matches. It's a big step up from what was happening a year ago. Yeah, I mean, that that's basically where I stand. I'm, I, I think in, in, 
kind of take out everything. I think Corbin Murphy as a match you see a couple weeks in a row. I don't hate it. I, I, I think the Corbin character has been just so played out and he just he comes back and he insults people sarcastically. And that's just his whole thing. And that's it. The, the character's just doing nothing. Um, but, you know, again, we get to see Murphy deliver some knees, knee strikes in the ring. Not going to complain too much, but there's not much to this. I just hope we don't get another like two month feud with the Mysterio family. Like, right. And Baron know. Corbin. Instead. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. every Corbin feud ends up with him wrestling the same people six weeks in a row. And I'm concerned that that's what we're going to get here. And then last but not least, uh, Billy Kay interrupted Michael Cole and Corey Graves with her resume and says she could take over the broadcast if they wanted. To his credit, Do Michael it. Cole. Michael, <laughs> to his credit, Michael Cole was absolutely hysterical telling the cameras <laughs> to cut. I'm not someone who loves the in-ring talk show format with everyone always getting one. They did two but of man, them on they did two of them in the first hour, basically in the first hour on Raw. We got Moment of Bliss and we got Ms. TV. It's just it, it just becomes very clear that it's just a, a, a shortcut way to like set up a promo instead of just doing something more creative. It is, but despite that being the case, and I'm kind of this is where I'm going here. Billy Kay, you could give her a talk show, yes. and it would be really good. It would be it would be better than Moment of Bliss. It would be nice for another woman to have one. It would be something unique. She gives the resume to Adam Pierce. He looks it over. Hey, Billy, you know what? I think I have something for you. Kay's corner. I don't know. They do something, and I think it would really get over, and people would like it because she's so smart and funny and personable, I, I just think it would be great for her. So I don't think they're doing that, you know, necessarily, but look, they're getting her on TV every week. It's pretty good. And she's doing better than Peyton Royce's. That's the truth. Yep. And it, 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 it's good to see. It's good to see her. I, I think they're both really talented and they're really great together. But Billy Kay, especially in a lot of those um, behind the scenes YouTube videos they would do on the WWE channel, Billy Kay was kind of really like leading the way in terms of stuff like you got to be joking me and Kayla and mm -hmm. is that it, you know, journalism, stuff like that. So uh, <laughs> I don't know where it's going to go, but it's good to see she's doing stuff because I know when they broke up and, and Peyton fed her to raw underground, it really seemed like, oh, they're going to do a big push for Peyton Royce and Billy Kay is going to be left behind. So I'm, I'm glad to see that uh, she has uh, pushed her way back into to being on TV. Yeah, for sure. And they actually tweeted out, Natalia actually tweeted out the resume that Billy Kay's <laughs> oh, passing around. That. And I retweeted it over at our Twitter account, Getting Overcast. Uh, it's real. And like she wrote out a full resume for herself as, you know, basically the last two years on the main roster, the Women's Tag Team Championship run, et cetera. And it, it includes a ton of resume-like language, like dynamic listening and stuff oh, like yeah. that. It's, it's really, really it's funny. It's got a phone so, number and everything on it too. It's the Jenny phone number, eight six seven five three. Oh, I, but, have, I didn't even look yeah. closely at it. I just saw but, it. Um, but it's, real, it's really funny though that they kind of went to that extent. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's on the Twitter account at Getting Overcast. You can go check it out. It just, the attention to detail on that, really <laughs> solid. You know, curious what they're going to be doing with Billy Kay going forward. That's really the last thing, Chris, that I had to talk about on today's show. I did before the Raw started and everything else started tonight. I did end up watching that live forever documentary on WWE network. Did you happen to catch that yet? I have not caught that one. Okay. So we'll save that. I'll put a pin in it. We'll talk about it on next week's WWE episode. It's really good. It's different from the Chronicles and all the other different ones that they have. It's almost Liv Morgan telling her story of her journey into WWE, but what it really spotlights, and this is what I want to talk about next week 
is basically the trash booking that she's been given since she joined the main roster and how it's been inconsistent. And now what's happening? We're here and we're talking about Liv Morgan and we haven't seen her on TV and there's really nothing going forward, despite her and Ruby Riot being a tag team again and the tag team champions needing challengers uh, from the women's division. So anyway, that was this week in the world of WWE covering Raw and SmackDown. I appreciate everyone listening. Again, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. But this is just the beginning of what's going to be an absolutely stacked month of Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. This was the 99th episode of Getting Over. The next episode is coming out Wednesday morning. It is the 100th episode spectacular for Getting Over. We will finish up the week with our AEW and NXT episode on Wednesday. Then the following week, we're going to have our normal episodes along with another very special episode on Wednesday. I booked an interview that you guys are definitely going to want to hear. And I'm working on some other stuff for the rest of the month in addition to the previews and the instant analysis that we're going to have for TLC and the Getting Over year-end awards that will be taking place Uh, some nominations, some voting on our Twitter account, but we will ultimately reveal those in a special episode, Chris and I, on this show. So do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Don't forget to subscribe if you're a first-time listener. Wherever you find podcasts, we are there. And please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. As I said, we taped this immediately after Raw went off the air, so it is late. That means the Macho Man Randy Savage, he's already in bed. That yeah, leaves- Actually, let me let me just jump in one more thing. I just want to say uh, congrats to you, Adam, on 100. Uh, you have been the driving force behind all this. I came on board separately, but you, you're the one who does these twice a week. You do a great job. You, you, for those who listen, if you're still listening, Adam puts uh, so much work into these uh, to, to make it the best it is every week, twice a week. Uh, so just I, just I just want to say congrats on 100, and I think you guys, uh, listeners, are going to enjoy what he has in store for number 100. Absolutely. And I'll, I mean, look, I appreciate that. You know, thank you very much for saying it. Chris kind of coming on not being uh, the original plan. You know, I don't think that's crazy to say, right, for the show. Uh, and coming on, stepping in, we're like, hey, Chris, you know, you want to do a WWE episode and like see what happens? And it was really good. And we got a really good reaction. So all of a sudden, he's a WWE co-host and doing the show every week. So Chris making the time in his schedule to do it. The show probably wouldn't be what it is today uh, without Chris kind of stepping into that role and, and being great in the role. So I appreciate the kind words. Thank you very much for joining me on all of these WWE episodes. But now what I'm going to do is finish the end of this 99th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. That means the Silver King. It's his time to say goodbye. And I only have three words left for you. Bye for now.